Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation Podcast Network. We're proudly a member of that. You can also share this wherever you found this, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of the major players in podcasting. We are there. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by Panini professional, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, it is Panini night. A uh, little inside baseball here for the, the listeners. I know they like this stuff. Um, Monday nights are a special night. Gerald and I come together every week, but it's also a special night for Drew, my fiance and I, because of my, uh, recording in the middle of a normal time when a couple might eat dinner together. Um, we've called it panini night because paninis are both, uh, delicious, uh, expedient, um, relatively low ingredient overhead. I mean, I really could sing the praises of, of, of panini. Um, I believe, um, or I actually prefer the, the moniker, the panini paisano, but you, you can call me whatever you'd like. The, uh, panini priest seems right. Ooh, I'll take it. I have performed a wedding, so I'll, I am ordained. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways we could go with that. What, what's, what's your ideal panini setup? Like what, what's, what's the, in, what's the ingredients? Ooh, that's good. So, so I'm, I'm currently right now, I'm trying to get through my Costco, uh, five pack of Thomas's English muffins. That's Thomas's English muffins for all your nooks and cranny needs. Hit us up for sponsorship opportunities or just send us English muffins. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you could slice a Thomas, but I really, I really either, you know, tines on a fork it open or really, I mean, it's, it's nice if you can just kind of peel it back. Um, in there, I like to do right now. I have some Munster do some Munster, different types of meats. I, I usually, you know, say with a turkey base, but we have a, a Cajun turkey right now from Boar's Head, which, you know, mm, salivating thinking about it. Um, ATB had a, a Hatch Green Chili Harissa um, sauce that, I, guys, again, I, I don't get paid that much from them to, to recommend this. Um, you should all go out to your local HEB and pick this stuff up. Um, it was like near where they do the professional demonstrations where the chefs have their little setup and they have the nice sauces. Um, it was over there last week and I saw it and oh, it's it's phenomenal. So I'll probably do some combination of that, a little lettuce, a little tomato, um, kind of get it nice and pop, piping hot, let that cheese melt and then pop it right in maybe two of those actually come on it's an english muffin what is it what am i hurting <laughs> i was i was hoping for possibly some bacon and or avocado in there but i have so it depends we we also have there's a fantastic shout outs again i'm just giving i'm giving unpaid plugs here um bw <laughs> butchers is a is one of the best meat markets in houston not far from my house if you live in the heights or anywhere near it uh in houston go check out bw but um i just keep tons of their sausage and or bacon in in the the freezer um and just kind of whatever i'm i'm feeling we'll, we'll thaw some of that and you know if we're feeling frisky throw some on top a little you know cut up a little little sausage let that juice kind of kind of soak up into uh, we may cancel the podcast and just get straight into the paninis tonight this was this got way more intense i did not anticipate two minutes worth of panini related content because that's what people come to you and i for is panini uh recipes so you can catch us on our other podcasts the panini players i mean realistically if we're going to give our handles later but if you want to see some of my food posts i was in a former life a food writer you want to check that out you can follow me on instagram uh at kyle ryan carpenter and, and typically we uh we, we get some food 
thrown up on there. But we should talk about what the folks tuned in for. And that's my Game of Thrones take. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's get to <laughs> let's get to the 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 namesake of this podcast, the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, so we've got some uh, some news for you this week. Baseball managed to not extend their losing streak. They didn't snap it. They just didn't extend it. Football, we're going to do another one of our positional previews as well as some big scheduling news. And we'll obviously close the show out with some downing the 40 and we'll bang the drum. So baseball got rained out. That's about the only good news. Baseball got rained out. I don't. I don't know what else there is to talk about. I. I feel like um, we're beating a dead horse with another dead horse at this point. Like I don't. I don't. I have. I have very little to say about the baseball team other than the game against Texas State was canceled due to weather. They've got four games left on the schedule, all at home, which has at least early in the season been uh, advantageous for them. But they need to win. In order to even make it into the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I mean, the, the Texas State game uh, would have been nice just to, to maybe round out. Uh, they could have gotten to 30 wins in theory if they won all five on this homestead. That now looks to be off the table. They have four games left with a 25 and 25 record. So, um, you know, they, they can they can still have a winning record, which is something. Uh, but the, the bigger thing that happened this week was, or I guess kind of with Texas not playing this weekend and other teams playing, is because of the way that the baseball gods, I don't know if smiled upon us is correct, or um, just kind of got our hopes up so that they could crush them even even further, like uh, the, the Game of Thrones, uh, Benioff and Weiss type gods. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really know, but but hey, it opened up scenarios, Gerald, and, and scenarios are always fun because it gives us something to watch for. Again, we ruled out, just to catch you back up, Texas is not going to make the NCAA tournament by any stretch of the imagination except for the unlikely scenario that they win the Big 12 tournament. But in order to do that, they have to be in the top eight teams um, to get into the eight-team Big 12 tournament, which at the current juncture, they are multiple games back from even being in that position, sitting in dead last. But all hope is not lost. Texas controls their own destiny at this point because... Um, of the teams that were in front of them, the, the baseball gods let them all lose two of three. OU lost uh, twice to Oklahoma State, uh, Kansas lost twice to TCU, and Kansas State lost twice to West Virginia, which kept it within reach. And Texas playing OU, um, if they sweep them, they're in the Big 12 tournament. If they win two, then it gets a little dicey. You know, if they win one, they're out. They're not in. But if they win two, they need Kansas to sweep Kansas State, specifically because they were swept by by Kansas and don't have the uh, the advantage the the if they have the same record, um, so it's it, really you're you're watching that Kansas you know Kansas State series the Sunflower Showdown out of one corner of your eye, but really you just want to be watching UT uh, and hoping for a sweep, which is the the safest scenario, even though it's been a few years since we've been able to do that. So it's you know there's hope. I, I don't want to get into the technicals of of this team or how likely that is or what our relief pitching needs to do to make that happen, uh, but let's just leave it you know at the fact that there's hope. The Baylor rain out when Texas was up, it was annoying at the time just for the sake of Texas had been struggling and that game felt like one that could have changed the trajectory of the rest of the season, really, when we look at it. Because Texas was still in the top 15 and it really, that that felt like kind of an inflection point. Like that Baylor series was just kind of weird and Texas seemed to have gotten its groove back on Sunday. They were up big, and the game was canceled. And with that, Texas has now played one fewer conference game yeah. than, well, basically everybody else other than Baylor, right? And so that one game could be the difference, and really it's why they have to win out to make the the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I think in the scenarios I listed, it certainly plays plays a huge part because being up 6-0 uh, when they called that game and not getting a win is tough. Um, they hadn't played enough uh, outs to to get it, but you know, uh, I, I don't know that just winning that one was truly the turning point in the season. If they had that win, everything would be different. It would just make our record a little better. We had just lost a little brother in the Tuesday game, uh, which we were annoyed by. But again, we were still a top fifteen team. But you're right; it was immediately after that that um, the bottom kind of started to fall out. So not to rehash or to get back into the things we've talked about on this pod, 
but that's just one to keep in, also in the back of your mind so you can you can grind your teeth if Texas wins two games and it gets real hairy about what's happening uh, with that Kansas series. You know, the, the odds would be ever more in our favor had that not uh, not been called off. But, you know, like I said, we, we have baseball to watch and in, in some way very meaningful baseball to watch. So this is the last weekend of the season, if not. Why not go out there and take advantage of it and watch the baseball team, cheer them on, give them that home field advantage that uh, that baseball has had uh, last year and especially beginning of this year when when uh, fans were, were very much on board. So let's let's make sure we we keep the keep the dish rocking. Like Kyle mentioned, all four games are at home. I always like to talk about how cheap baseball tickets are. Incarnate Word on Tuesday, three bones. You can walk in with the five and walk out with change. Uh, all three games against the Oklahoma Sooners game the tickets start at seven dollars, which I know that seems high. Most expensive ticket available for any of those three games, a smooth twenty five dollars. So you can get good tickets still for relatively cheap. Again, so Tuesday, the day you're probably listening to this, Incarnate Word, and then a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series against the Oklahoma Sooners, all on Longhorn Network. So to move to the good team that plays on the diamond, uh, number eight softball got a lot of news this week. So there were individual honors as well as some team honors, uh, but the all big 12 teams featured a good number of longhorns on the first team. You've got junior pitcher Miranda Elish, one of Kyle's favorites, uh, sophomore second baseman, Janae Jefferson, second team, freshman Shaylin O'Leary, sophomore Mary Iacopo, and junior Caitlin Washington on the second team. That is five, mm-hmm. count them, five of Texas's starting nine players earned Big 12 honors. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a team that was dominated by by Oklahoma and Texas, um, which you know we've talked about, and shouldn't be a surprise to too many people. Um, you know, I think the, the the biggest snub here was was Shaylin O'Leary getting second team. There was a lot of good you know pitchers in the Big Twelve, um, and, and a couple of them you know on OU squad, but uh, um, you know again lowest ERA in the uh, in the country this year as a freshman, uh, thirteen and one. Um, had a little injury in there. She may have got a couple more wins, missed a few games, but uh, is is the kind of secret weapon I think her coming back will, will hopefully uh, be the extra piece we didn't have when we played OU before. Um, I'm not going to talk at all about this Big 12 um, postseason tournament because, you know, rain and all that. It just you know didn't even happen because um, the big news, the good news, is that Texas is set to host an NCAA regional that's right. For the first time since 2013, White Mike comes here for one year. We host one regional. Uh, and that's May 17th through the 19th this weekend. Um, so, again, if you have uh, just, a, just a couple bucks expendable, um, you can't make it to, to the baseball field, go across the street to the red and... I can't remember Red McCombs' wife. Charlene. Charlene McCombs' uh, field right across the way. Uh, or why not catch both? Or stand in that street in the middle and, and on one of those buses and you can watch both. Actually, I don't think they them have the buses. But, you know, you can you can uh, listen to both and see see how the crowds are going. But buy, buy tickets for both of them. Here's what you do. You and a friend go to either game, FaceTime each other. Good. I like it. I think that's the way to go about it. I like that, it. That seems like the smart move. If you're going to try to maximize your greenbacks, I feel like that's the right way to go about it. I think the youngins FaceTime, or excuse me, Instagram live with each other now. So maybe that's... Uh, that's the way to do it. And I speak not as a youngin, but just as someone who, who has run into these youths uh, a time or two. I think that's that's what the kids are up to. Yeah, I again, I FaceTime because I'm 32. So that's, <laughs> that's what we do uh, when you get to my age. So moving on, some football news this week. So we've got scheduling. And I'm a fan, a huge fan of what Crystal Conti is doing with the Texas schedule. They are kind of going about it in the most slash least SEC way possible. Because the SEC way of non-conference is you schedule three teams that you could run the scout team out against, right? So what Texas is doing is Texas is scheduling two less than top tier teams and then one top tier team. Mm -hmm. So when the inevitable conversation of the Big 12 is down... 
Texas can point to the fact that they absolutely beat the pants off Florida. So <laughs> that all leads us to Texas announced this week scheduling a home and home 2030 and 2031, which this is going to make you feel old. Only 10 years away from those two happening. Yikes. Uh, and then 2032 and 2033 against Arizona State. They actually canceled two of their three games against South Florida, uh, which sad, but we'll take the upgrade and be really honest with you. Am I crazy? Was that part of the Charlie Strong like deal? Did that did that come out at the same time? I don't know that for sure. That's pure speculation. But I kind of remember something about the fact that like when Chuck got hired, those games got announced. But anyways, um, we are paying them to to get out of our contract. So actually, the South Florida fans I've talked to um, aren't too upset about it. Um, and if you remember when we went to uh, we went to play uh, UCF. Um, in their opening of their home stadium, that was a, a heart attack game. So um, I'm not mad about not going to Florida for the um, giant schools because both of those schools, South Florida and Central Florida, are like almost as big as Texas in enrollment, even if they're not in program stature. I'm more confident playing the SEC teams because they're going to be super overrated. Um, so I'm glad we're, we're playing the, the lesser of the three uh, Florida powerhouses, UCF, USF, and then, of course, in third place, UF, um, because SEC is super overrated. You can see it by the bowl records of the Big 12 in that conference last year. I've got nothing to add, <laughs> except for maybe that by 2031, Texas could possibly have more wins against LSU, Alabama, and Florida <laughs> than uh, Little Brother and College Station. I'm just just saying. You're absolutely right. It's it's not a it's not a long shot. That could happen by this year. Um, we could have as as many because <laughs> I only count that A and M win as a half. But uh, um, from last year. But no, the uh, the crazy thing is, I was looking at some of the other schedules. Obviously, the Alabama one. It's been enough time that that's maybe faded from memory but also michigan ohio state i mean there are some juggernauts texas is not skimping around and like you said for a team where you know a an sec middle of the pack team that says well we play our blue bloods every week it's like well no you play alabama and maybe the one other good sec team that year and then you play you know southeastern sisters um of the not even poor i don't even know what's below uh, extremely destitute. impoverished, destitute. Yeah, um, you know, three times and and don't play the extra extra conference game or the conference championship, which is you know all very nice things when you're padding a resume. But some people just say, "Give us the best, and we'll beat them." And and right now the upswing, the trajectory Texas is on, I love it. That's where we should be. Texas continues to bolster its resume and continues to really. Um, boost what its stature is. Texas, again, this is part of that Texas trying to build strategy around being air quotes back, right? Even though we all hate that. <laughs> um, that's that's what Texas is, is trying to, to do is continue to have marquee games year in and year out. And so, again, like you said, it's LSU the next two years, then Arkansas back-to-back against Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Georgia, Florida, Florida, Arizona State, Arizona State, all the way through 2033. So Arizona State is probably the lesser of those schools, but still playing a power five team in non-conference every year for the next 14 years. Yeah. And and not to mention one of the, to give them their credit, one of the best programs in, in the country, you know, we will basically play them twice for the foreseeable future if everything goes the way we think it should, where Texas plays OU once in the Cotton Bowl and then plays them once in the Big 12 Championship. So, I mean, I'll take two games against OU over pretty much any other conferences in conference schedule, not to mention, you know, TCU, don't count on them being down. Uh, any given year, Oklahoma State could be a monster. I, you know, Texas Tech could be building something out there. So, I mean, there's always going to be good teams in the Big 12. But like I said, if Texas plays where they should, you're playing OU twice plus one of these out-of-conference teams. You're ready. You're you're building up your endurance, your confidence, your strength, your fortitude for a playoff run for the foreseeable future. And, and I think, again, you'll know exactly what these teams are made of by basically week three of every year for the foreseeable future, and I'm okay with that. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Uh, so Texas, still on the recruiting trail for this upcoming season, uh, secured the commitment of junior college uh, inside linebacker Jawan Mitchell, presumably trying to fill some of the gap that Gabriel Floyd's injury created. So Butler Community College, a name that is probably pretty familiar to you if you're paying attention to recruiting. Um, number one junior college defensive end Jacoby Jones was a teammate of his in El Dorado, Kansas. So Texas picking up some big pieces, both literally and figuratively, uh, still trying to bolster that defense as uh, it tries to reload and, and hopefully continue its upward trajectory from 2018. Yeah. I mean, that that's the position too. I mean, that's the place where we talked about that. We, we worried and I'm not saying instantly I have no worries, but you know, when we say, hey, we feel a little bare here, clearly the coaches have the same anxiety and say, what can we do about it? And they did something about it. And so just adding depth, adding bodies, adding dudes who've proven it, um, you know, and, and have the chance to uh, – Gary Johnson made himself uh, quite a career uh, transferring from junior college to, to UT. And I think, um, you know, I, I think for sure that uh, – he went to the NFL and, and will hopefully catch him with the Chiefs based on what he did here. I think you get uh, Jawan Mitchell as a guy who, um, you know, who, who could have a similar career. And like you said, the having four years to play three gives him a chance to build his own Longhorn legacy as well. You know, it's not a one-year um, kind of rental rental uh, for a transfer, but but really a guy who, um, you know, effectively has has one year that uh, that he's not going to get of eligibility from what a what a high school kid would get. So you know, I love it. I think it's uh, I think it's exactly what was needed. And I think taking a guy like Mitchell gives you a little bit of an insight into how the coaches are feeling because Jawan Mitchell could be a guy that needs a year to develop just a little bit more. Now, I'm not saying he is. He could definitely be a guy who comes on and plays year one, but with a player that you have the option of redshirting one year, a player that comes in and really can be an instant contributor. I mean, he had 55 tackles, seven and a half sacks. He was a incredible defender for you know this community college in Kansas, but you never know. You never know when a guy needs to make the transition. And so if you need to give him a year, and that's why I don't feel as bad about the linebacking position, because again, with, with four to play three, if he needs to take a year and adjust to the speed of the division one game, he can do so. I mean, it, it like I said, it's, it's uh, that plus a strong recruiting class, I think can, can build that, uh, that into a position of a position of strength really quickly that, that switch can, can kind of flip and, and some of our young guys getting a little older as well, you know, so it's, as we talk about our future opponents, we talk about our future uh, cupboard. And I think he's a great addition to that. So speaking of cupboard, we're going to do our next positional preview and talk about the wide receiving group. So Texas is losing a big name, possibly the biggest name on offense from last year, not not named Sam Ellinger. A uh, little Jordan Humphrey decided to forego his final season of eligibility after 86 receptions, just shy of 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. He's currently trying to make his name with the New Orleans Saints. Gerard Hurd also graduated. The reason possibly why little Jordan Humphrey had such a big year, Colin Johnson decided to come back for another year. 68 grabs, 985 yards. Nearly cracked a thousand yards, uh, but missed one game. You got Devin Duvernay, John Burt. The core of that receiving group is coming back. Malcolm Epps, who played quite a bit last year. You got Eagles, Joshua Moore, Alvante Woodard, uh, Jordan Pouncey's a name. You got guys that haven't even played yet Jake Smith, Brew McCoy, Marcus Washington, Kennedy Lewis. So the list goes on and on and on, it feels like in the wide receiver group. So Kyle, I want to know like what's a fair set of expectations 
for the Texas passing game with all of these tools in the tool chest for Tom Herman and Tim Beck. I mean, I, I think you start this conversation, obviously, with Colin Johnson, right? I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think there, I think there is a chance that he's become underrated. And that's hard to say when you're as big and as fast and as strong. We've spent as much time as we have singing his praises and some of the catches he's had and some of the games he's had. Um, I think it's actually that he's been underrated because I think people are just maybe box score kind of glancing at him and, and see, you know, oh, he didn't crack a thousand yards, you know. Um, but like you mentioned, when you have a little Jordan Humphrey, I mean, replacing not only um, all of the talent and, and what he could do, but I mean, the reason little Jordan Humphrey got 86 catches um a he could do it but b it's because you know the defense had to pick their poison and a lot of times they looked at the two and said we feel like colin johnson is the greater threat to just end the game you know you saw oklahoma when they decided to single cover him and you simply couldn't do anything about it it was it was a catch it was guaranteed or you pass interfered literally their most effective defense was it was more effective to hope that the ref missed the interference than that colin johnson missed the catch that literally happened in the Big 12 tournament or the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I I think I think you know, unless that's the strategy that teams play against Texas, I think you know with Whittle Jordan Humphrey gone, that, that it's going to be more likely that he sees double teams. But this is also a team that while you replace you know a ton of production from from Humphrey, I, I, the guy I'm looking at to break out and kind of have a career year is Devin Duvernay. I think he is going to put you know maybe not exactly, you know, uh, the, the numbers, especially catches, um, that, that you lose with little Jordan, but, but, you know, just yards wise, I mean, again, three or four passes that were just a yard away from connecting connect this year, the guy has, you know, a couple hundred yards on his tally and, and, and three touchdowns right off the top and, and takes care of Texas's biggest problem that, that, Herman and, and many media members have quoted that Texas was one of two teams last year and the only power five that didn't have an offensive play at 50 yards. Devin Duvernay was about three inches away from having both of Texas's plays longer than 50 yards. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son has been on this kick where he wants to watch ball, which is incredible, but watching the games in which Devin Duvernay is overthrown is infuriating. And picking out plays that Sam Ellinger missed is like looking for pimples on the prom queen, right? But those are two glaring holes where Devin Duvernay has to stretch out. And really, Devin Duvernay's biggest highlight play of last year was that same overthrow, yep. except he came up with it. Yep. And he almost he almost did that two more times. And so, for me, like, I don't know how people are down on Colin Johnson. I was on Reddit, the, the Longhorn subreddit, the other day. Um, and somebody's talking about how Colin Johnson needs to prove himself. Like, prove himself that he can be better than every other wide receiver in the conference. Like, I don't know what else is left on the table for him. Like if you watch his performances against teams that decided against their better judgment to not put a safety over the top of him, he went absolutely off. Like anybody shorter than six foot. If they, Oh, you did it again. They put their Lilliputian defensive backs on him one-on-one and he signed every single one of their birth certificates. Like that's what he did. And teams decide to bracket cover him and put a safety over the top. And that's why Texas has, for the last two years, really good success in the slot, right? Because two years ago, we were talking about Reggie Hempel maps doing similar things to what Lil Jordan Humphrey did. Not anywhere near it, but again, had an incredible year, decided to transfer weirdly. But I think the thing to, to look out for for me is, like, there's just beef. Like, these guys are huge. It is a massive massive receiving Malcolm Epps claims he's six, seven again. I've, I've seen pictures. I I wouldn't say this to his face. And if he's a listener, Malcolm, I'm sorry. You and Colin are basically the same height. You're six, six. And that's okay. As someone who's been telling people at five, eight and a half that he's five, nine his entire life. um, I'm completely okay with you. You flexing it up a bit. And as someone who's six three, I'm kidding. I'm not six three. Um, <laughs> even six foot. Uh, Malcolm Epps looks enormous. I'll just say that the spring game, watching him, and I was in the front row, just watching him like close up. He is a he's a monster. He is 
every bit as tall as Colin Johnson. And maybe it's because he's also 245 pounds um, that he just looked even taller because he's massive big. I mean, shout out to both the mountain and, and the hound from last night's uh, Clegane Bowl. But I feel like that's kind of how it would be uh, if these two two monsters decided to, uh, you know, go at it in, in one of Tom Herman's uh, Oklahoma drills. But um, he's, he's, he's massive. And it seems like uh, Herman and Beck and, and just the entire offense is just waiting to make him the next big name. If you're talking a like-for-like like replacement uh, for Lil Jordan Humphrey, again, his name is significantly shorter, um, which, you know, you can't replace that many letters, um, but just replacing, you know, the size, uh, I think he's he's your best candidate, but it doesn't have to be. Texas has a ton of options who can run out of the slot. It doesn't have to be the power slot. You know, it can be um, any number of the speedy guys. I mean, Joshua Moore uh, is a guy who, who you know, has all of the tools in the bag. He just needs to put a little weight on, um, but can be a possession receiver as well as a speed receiver. You have John Burt, who can take the top off of defense. Um, a guy they really, you know, especially in the, the second half of that spring game, we're, we're getting some targets to is Avante Woodard. Um, I think Jordan Pouncey is a guy who you've heard his name thrown around a lot, and he's a he's typically a, a spring warrior. So if that type of success kind of in in practice and in so the spring game translates over, um, he's the type of guy who you give him a couple chances, and he may not give the field up to some of the young bucks who are running behind that sophomore crew. So I mean, that's not even talking about the two biggest names I think in here. Once you talk of the top piece, and then you talk the the kind of hype piece, and that's obviously. Jake Smith and Brew McCoy. Yeah, and and it's incredible that we're having this conversation and we're, what, four maybe-ish minutes into it and haven't mentioned Jake Smith or Brew McCoy. That's how stocked the cupboard is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Jake Smith, Gatorade Player of the Year, has one of the best receiving careers in high school sports history, and we haven't mentioned his name because that's how blessed the Texas receiving room is. Now, Jake Smith is incredible, and I think Jake Smith is a guy that could step on campus and be an immediate contributor. Like Jake Smith has proven that he's got the shake, he's got the rattle, he's got the roll. Like he's he's the guy to to do it all. He's not just the speedy slot guy, but he makes tough catches and he's able to lay a hit. Now he's not again gonna be your your big hitter, big contact guy, but he can if he needs to in a pinch, right? Um, Brew McCoy, we saw him in. You saw sprinkles of Brew McCoy in the spring game. Texas hasn't really uh, done much with him. They honestly don't know if he'll be eligible next year. I still believe they haven't submitted his uh, his waiver for immediate eligibility, but uh, Nancy Nabilet is weird at granting these hardship waivers, so who knows? Um, a guy that, two guys really, that are coming in that will likely see a red shirt this year, but I'm excited to see them develop. Marcus Washington He's a guy that caught a lot of flack for his 40-yard time, but dude plays big and dude plays quicker than than whatever slow timer he had. Um, and Kennedy Lewis, you look at his offer sheet, any any wide receiver that's offered by Mike Gundy, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I, that's all you need to tell me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and not to mention, I think he had Baylor in there and, and Washington State, so teams that know how to get guys, you know, uh, 1,500 yards receiving. Uh, I'll, I'll take that. Um, but... You know, I, I don't want to skip up because he he was kind of the, the forgotten man. I was listing off and Marcus Washington came uh, to mind because he had the Mookie connection from this year's potential uh, class, you know, and, and just maybe was more front of mind. I completely forgot about Kennedy Lewis, and that's no um, flack on him. That's just how much talent there is. But I want to go back to, to those two guys um, because I have an interesting note for each. I think for Brew McCoy, like you said, I, I mean, I think we'll probably, if it's submitted this week, which I've heard the rumors that may be, um, we should, I think, timetable hopefully hear back by the end of the month or so. It should be a relatively quick turnaround based on the other uh, waivers we've seen. So, I mean, it's not like they have to wait until the week before the game to know what's going to happen. But Tom Herman, when when talking about Brew McCoy, you know, was talking about him, just his, his work ethic and, and said you should see him. See him, the kid in the weight room. Um, he's grunting and groaning and screaming. Uh, he's not afraid to work. Uh, so versatile. I just, um, the, the image, you know, of, of a guy named Horace 
who's bigger than all of the coaching staff, um, you know, standing in there grunting. It, it reminds me of Cal Drogo since we, you know, Dothraki's have come back into the world. Thank God. Um, it reminds me of a Dothraki. Like he's just a man at 18. It just, I would be very terrified uh, of him in there. Um, not to mention, you know, Brew put up uh, decent, I'd say decent uh, high school numbers his senior year. Um, I think he had something like 78 catches for 1500 yards and 18 touchdowns, which again, sounds pretty good while playing both ways. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The, the him and Whittington, like being the best player on each of those teams, offense and defense is scary. Like, it's just like, if you're a high school kid and you're playing either one of them on either side, it's like, come on, you're embarrassing the rest of us. But um, that sounds impressive. But I went back and looked at Jake Smith's just receiving yards. Because, again, part of his package was he was such an unbelievable running back as well. Um, his junior year averaging 10 yards a carry on 119 carries, which is silly. Um, but his, his, his receiving yards specifically, Gerald, I did a little math. Do you know, and this is not a quiz, just do you know what 38 divided by 95 is? Don't do it off the top of your head. I'll give it to you. It's 40.4. Yeah, 0.4. It's 40%. On 40% of the balls that were thrown up in the air that Jake Smith got his hands on, he ended up in the end zone. On his 95 receptions, he had 38 touchdowns. That's unreal. Again, his junior year, he averaged 32 yards a catch. On 33 receptions. Like, he had over a 1,000 yards, averaging over 30 yards a catch. That's not, like, human. That's not real. His senior year had 22 touchdowns. Like, the guy is phenomenal. The reason we're maybe not talking as much about him, he wasn't here in the spring. He wasn't an early enrollee, which there is no requirement to be. But I think as soon as, you know, the coaches get eyes on them, these kids are going to be graduating soon and reporting pretty soon for duty. I mean, everyone expects that, you know, either of those two guys, um, along with, of course, Whittington, you know, out of the backfield, maybe running some in the receiver, um, just can be instant contributors and can play for as many years as they want until they decide uh, to take their talents to the next level. Um, so, I mean, just 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 three weapons. But I think what we're focusing specifically on that receiver spot, Jake Smith and Brew McCoy could be, you know, could be your guys as early as year one. There's there's nothing else to say about about that. I think, again, there are zero questions at the receiver spot other than who's going to be the other guy. So the spot that would technically be a receiver, technically not, this is kind of our unofficial bridge between the offensive line and the wide receivers is the tight end spot mm-hmm. and the tight end spot. I don't, I don't know how to feel about the tight end spot because Andrew Beck has been an incredible player for the last couple seasons for yeah. Texas team captain, kind of moral guy, character guy, and he's gone. He's gone. And in his place, we're probably looking at a combination of Cade Brewer and, and Reese Laytow. Uh, and both of those guys are good players, but have very divergent skill sets when it comes to playing the tight end position, uh, especially in the Beck Herman offense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 tough to replace Andrew Beck in any capacity that he did. The senior year he had, I mean, was fantastic. The, the numbers aren't just eye popping, but he seemed to get 80% of his catches in the red zone or on third down. Um, really on third down, he was, you know, that's where he made his money, but he, I mean, he blocked, he was probably our third best blocker, um, which is tough, you know, tough to replace. He was the leader out in the field. He was the team captain. Kind of that stuff is tough. But if we're talking about, you know, a more dynamic passing offense, I think adding Brewer in is an instant upgrade at the type of skills that he can do. Think back two years ago to Cade Brewer's first career catch. It was in overtime. Um, Beck has, was out for the season with a knee injury, so Brewer got thrown in as a true freshman. In overtime, his first career catch was a slant in the end zone for a touchdown against USC. Like, that's announcing yourself. He hasn't had a ton of sustained success just because we didn't you know, target him a ton after uh, that. He's, you know, got, uh, I think, something like 10 catches or 11 catches for about 100 yards over his career. Um, but a couple touchdowns in there. Um, looked to be better last year, kind of um, blocking from his freshman year. And, you know, has another offseason to really, to really learn that. But the upside with him, he had uh, in consecutive seasons as a junior and senior in high school, had over 50 catches, 800 yards, and 14 touchdowns in each year. 
So he's a guy who can basically be like a like a number two receiver from the tight end position. He's a guy who is tall, um, can catch anything he gets his hands on, uh, has bulked up a little even from where he came in. Just just has the look of you know a prototypical Big Twelve tight end um, who you know could be our next year Michael Finley if he if he gets you know gets everything going right, um, and especially in this offense where again you have guys taking the top off and then you have an underneath or a middle seam kind of guy who, you know, can just be really dangerous. You invoked the holy Jermichael Finley, which you've already declared that the curse of Jermichael Finley is dead over and gone. Uh, <laughs> thus say if the podcast, correct. Jermichael Finley is a really, really high watermark to hold somebody. Sure. To. Yes. Um, and I want to back up Andrew Beck. Also, you should add 40 yards to his, or probably like 60 yards to his season total because, Again, Sam Ellinger, just for some reason, cannot throw a post route. I don't know what it is, but he couldn't. cannot throw a post route. He will in the future. He couldn't in he the will past. In the he, in, when I say can't, I'm speaking specifically in 2018 lingo. Could not in 2018 throw a post route because uh, he missed Andrew Beck on probably two of those as well. Mm-hmm. On a little play action sneak out to the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you're. I think you're going to see different sets and different different groupings because I think Cade Brewer is definitely a more dynamic playmaker and Reese Latow is kind of your your hand in the dirt let's get nasty kind of more of a hybrid H-back fullback mm-hmm. kind of situation um, and the Texas offense is going to the spread power and you need that in that role because I think that's what made Andrew Beck such a such a dangerous tool for the offense is that he didn't need to come off the field situationally. He can be out there on the passing downs, and he can be right. out there on the blocking downs. So I think that's something that I'm interested to see how, and I'm not saying either of these guys needs to come off in a situation, but if Texas is trying to play its advantages as well as it can, then they could play packages that lean toward either skill set. And like we said, we I mean, we want to see the, the the running game established. We'll talk about that in our running backs preview. Um, but, you know, and so, so having a tight end as a part of the Tim Beck, Tom Herman offense who can do both, is a huge part. And, and uh, you know, I think Leotel is a guy who can grow his game to more of a receiving role for sure. I mean, kind of follows more of a, of a Beck type mold, a guy who has really, you know, played a couple different, Beck himself played a couple different positions, but was always more comfortable hitting folks, was more of a blocker and, and kind of grew into his hands. Um, and Brewer, like I said, has already shown improvement in blocking. They'll kind of keep coaching that, I'm sure, uh, through this offseason. But then you talk about, and I don't know that these guys will necessarily uh, look to be day one options or they want them coming in, um, but they brought in two players in this class, um, again, similar to the receiving Core one who enrolled early in in uh, Jared Wiley, um, who is six six two forty, just learning the tight end position, but is has all the tools for a long term project. And then you bring in again a high school all American out of Arizona, uh, the number five tight end in the class, and Braden Laybrock. And I think you have um, a guy who has the the skill set that I think could be the type of player that we just talked about that excels in in this exact kind of offensive scheme. So. Uh, do you think either of those guys, you know, contribute into specifically talking about 2019? Wiley is probably a guy who needs a season and not in a bad way. Let's not forget that he was a quarterback six months ago. Mm-hmm. Like we can't, we can't lose sight of the fact that uh, he played quarterback in, in his senior year of high school. Like that was his position uh, coming out of high school. I think Lee Brock was a huge get for Texas. Um, and I think, Again, Texas is in a position where I, I don't know if they need to him to be a contributor right at the gate. Mm-hmm. That being said, he can be. 6'5", 220, like, the guy's got all the tools. He's got plenty of experience. And I think he's one of those guys in the mold of Andrew Beck, maybe more athletic than Andrew Beck, but he he can do it both. He can block and he can, he can catch passes. And so I think... Lee Brock is probably the guy uh, of of the two of the 2019 guys, probably the one that I would anticipate if either one of them gets significant looks. That's the guy. But I, again, this goes back and I, I hope this becomes a theme. I hope people could quote us. We play freshmen because they are so good that we can't play them, not because we have to. And so we have two guys ahead of either of those, those freshmen who um, I think, you know, Lord willing and, and no injuries should see 
97% of all the snaps, just getting the other guys some looks, situational packages, using their four games of eligibility, and then hopefully get a redshirt for both of them. Um, again, unless they just excel and can't be kept off the field. I mean, it's all about the inflection on we have to play that guy, right? I did it last week. It's not, oh, we have to play that guy. It's we have to play that guy. Like, that's what mm-hmm. that's what Texas, especially at these two positions, if the young guys see the field, it's because you can't keep them off it, not because you have to put them on it. And I think that is such a good situation to be at these skill positions on offense. Now, defense may be a different story next year, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, but I'm I'm excited for these two positions specifically just because the cupboard is so full. Well, and and again, this is this is who we talked about in the quarterback preview. Ellinger benefits from all the talent we just talked about, but all of this talent we just talked about also benefits from Sam Ellinger. You have you know I would argue like a top five quarterback in the country, um, certainly top ten in the country who's going to be throwing the ball to them, a guy who's comfortable running the offense, who's got the feel for it, who knows the reads. You know, this is this is all when we're talking this position, I was a receiver, um, like this this I know, you're only truly as good as the guy who's getting the ball to you. You can't throw the ball yourself and catch it yourself. Um, you know, uh what was his name? I'm I'm blanking the uh, anyways, there there was a, a, a two A player who who made Texas's team who had like crazy wild high school stats. I'm totally blanking. And Nick, Nick Zajacek, Coach Zajacek will kill me for this, but um, I always said his play should be he throws it and then catches it himself. But anyways, you can't do that. You know, you have to have someone throwing it to you. And so having Ellinger will bump every single one of these guys a little bit higher from where they would be otherwise. You know, it's the whatever their maximum potential is, they're going to get a percentage or two point closer to that or maybe even exceed it because of the guy throwing them the ball. This is going to be one of those mutually beneficial situations where I think Ellinger is better because of the targets that he has, and I think the targets are better because of Ellinger. But I think we'll talk about this next week. We need to see more balance from the Texas running game. I don't want to see Sam Ellinger with 20-plus carries again in his entire career. Like I, I, Texas needs more balance if if they're going to take advantage of the embarrassment of riches that is this passing game. And now we move on to the part of the show where we give some shine to the sports that don't necessarily get what they deserve, and we down the 40. So we're going to talk with some championship news. I got that championship feeling, Kyle. The tower's orange. Oh, yeah. The horns are in the air. The Texas women's track and field team, just no big deal, won their fourth conference championship in the last six years pulling off the double fecta because they were also the indoor champs heck yeah in 2019 yeah i mean this again is another one of those coaches who's come in and said we expect you to win and coach floreal has done it um we're expecting you know a bump in the men's side now to catch up but the women's team has some legitimate chances to to go on and and compete at the national level the men came in third which you know it's not as fun when you play or run, I guess, in the conference with the number one team. So they were behind Texas Tech and Iowa State. However, eight individual and two relay champions uh, between both the men's and the women's team. So big ups to all of the athletes uh, on the track and field team. Number two women's golf won the Norman Regional by nine strokes. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are now set for the 2019 NCAA championship. Uh, It's May 17th through the 22nd at Blessings Golf Club in Fayetteville, Arkansas. That just sounds pleasant. Hashtag blessings. I love it. It's uh, they've got now they're making their 28th all-time appearance in the NCAA championship tournament. Hopefully they can bring home uh, a championship. I'd love to see that big one on the tower. Number six men's golf earns a number one seed out of the Austin regional. That'll be taking place. Uh, as you're listening to this, um, the low five teams out of the regional out of the 14 will advance to the NCAA championship. So after one day, Texas is tied with Pepperdine uh, at six under. So in a strong position, to continue its run at NCAA tournament. Number four, rowing. We just love all these low numbers. Number four, rowing, takes their undefeated record to the Big 12 championships this 
weekend. Number two men's tennis busted out the brooms, swept Cal heading into the NCAA championship quarterfinals. They get a rematch mm-hmm. with number nine TCU Thursday at 1 p.m. in Orlando. Yeah, I mean, this is this is exciting times. This is about as good as, as Texas uh, men's tennis has been. Um, it, it, I, I really, truly think that um, they have a chance to get through TCU. They know them, get through TCU, take it to the kind of final four. And then this is, this is, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Things have to go right. Basically, usually the, the final 16 get to the final site as they call it, um, where they, they play out all the, the remainder of their matches this year. It was the, the final eight. So they're in it. They're at the championship grounds. If they win this one, then they have, you know, the final four teams, uh, all playing there in Orlando as well. So it's going to come quick and come fast. Um, and, and this is their time, you know, they have the momentum. They, they, they didn't, I think they dropped one set. It was a clean sweep where they dropped one set. So they just demolished Cal. So they're going to take that momentum, um, bring it into TCU. And, and again, this is a team that uh, they know, they know well, and they know they're better than, and and they just need to go out and execute. Um, and and, and the, uh, the exciting thing is, just to put a bow on, on this, my favorite section, um, we're, we're up now to eight with, with women's track and field. Uh, we're up to eight Big 12 conference championships with rowing happening this weekend. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you can't you can't speak highly enough. That's of course volleyball, women's indoor, now outdoor, uh, swimming and diving, both men's and women's, uh, women's tennis, men's tennis, and women's golf. You can't speak highly enough for how robust the talent is, how you know spread out it is. Like you said, low numbers everywhere, top fives, top tens, everywhere. Um, it's just a good time, and and you can give Del Conte the credit. You can give you know anywhere these coaches all across the credit you can give it wherever you want but it's just a good time it's feeling like the good old days again um like i said i'll take eight big 12 potentially nine conference championships every year next year obviously we'll we'll start adding football to that but uh this is fantastic man this is this is um this is one of those things just pick a sport look on texasports.com pick a sport go find a team and you're gonna see excellence wherever you go wherever the longhorns are playing they're gonna be excellent this is why Texas never stopped being the Joneses. This is why Texas never stopped being the Joneses is because the dominance continued across basically every and all sports. But now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? All right. So this week, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I prepared to come with takes as hot as Drogon's fire just for an hour of, of fiery, spicy, hot takes. But I don't know that I have one drum that I need to bang just that is so loud that that rings out. And so I'm going to play a, uh, a, a, a symphony, I think, of little drums here. I'm going to give you a couple quick hits. My most personal that I'm, I'm excited about is that the Ravens flock hath grown. I said I'm nominally a Baltimore Ravens fan. If I do watch the NFL, that's the team I watch. Of course, the legend, leg god, Justin Tucker, Deshaun Elliott, he of Joker fame without the injury last year. I did talk to him at the uh, at the ill-fated Maryland game. Uh, if we were playing Maryland this year, A, we would beat them, and B, we'd have even more uh, alums to come to the game. But I did I did run into him and talk to him. Uh, as well as Charlie Strong Center. Um, Earl Thomas, who who recently signed uh, with the Ravens, huge offseason get. If you weren't if you didn't have a team, the Ravens have to be your team now, because that's where Earl is, Natch. Uh, and finally they signed. He, he was a non-drafted invited to rookie camp. And as of today, actually, that we're recording this on Monday, was signed Patrick Vahe. So the big mauler, one of Gerald's favorites, is joining the flock. So that's one half. We're talking about Longhorns going to the next level. And so because that's a theme that I'm banging the drum on, I will tell you the other half of the same theme. NBA draft coming up. NBA draft combine going on right now at this moment today. Started yesterday. Again, we're recording Monday. There was there was one Longhorn at the combine. 66 players invited. One lottery pick, of course, Jackson Hayes. Um, expected to be a top 10, top 15 type pick. Um one thing I have to just applaud that kid for is he finished his semester so that he could remain in good academic standing because he said he's going to come back. 
and he's going to finish his degree. And he wanted to make sure the classes he took this semester counted towards that. And his grades were good. And that was important to him. Other players left and just started working out as soon as the basketball season was over. He's a kid who, who kind of has the right head on his shoulders and looks the right direction. And, and I think that's an admirable move. But one thing that also happened with the combine that, that you know, I, I, we have to point out is it isn't all roses. Kerwin Roach was not amongst the 66 invited. That does not mean that in some world he can't work out for a team and get drafted. It does not mean that he can't still make a team as a free agent. But um, it probably looks like, if anything, there's a G League in his future um, and, and, you know, we, we know the talent he has and, and when he's at his best, the, the type of player he could be, could be a guy who contributes on an NBA team. Um, but he was not in that group. So we're just rooting when the draft rolls around for, for probably one, maybe if we get lucky too. Uh, but Jackson Hayes is our, our, our big uh, name to watch. Vahe signing to the Ravens continues to erode at the fact that I'm a Miami Dolphins fan and <laughs> ish because again i don't it's been 20 years let's find a quarterback guys um it's it's sad to see snoop not um not invited to the combine simply because it's hard to watch a guy who you loved watching play in college kind of fizzle out like this like that's just the only way i could describe it as it's kind of a fizzle uh but it's all it is what it is jackson hayes probably going to be a lottery pick and it's exciting to see him get these opportunities so I'm banging the drum this week, and it's going to be kind of a roundabout way to get there. But over the weekend, uh, straight Jesuits Matthew Bowling decided he wanted to set the national 100-meter high school record, turning in a ridiculous 10-1-3. That is, again, a 30-year-old record that he decided to break a week after running a 9-9-8 that they said could not qualify for the record because the wind was too fast. So over the weekend... Uh, he just decided to go ahead and um, win state in record-setting fashion, which is great. There's not really a Texas connection there, but if you watch the race, there's a guy that was, at least for the first, I don't know, we'll call it 25% of the race, going stride for stride with him, and that's Texas commit Tyler Owens. So Tyler Owens out of Plano East High School, Turned in a not-so-bad 10-3 100-meter dash, which was good enough to uh, be second in uh, that, that event, and in most years is good enough to win you a state championship. And it's of note because Tyler Owens is 6'2", 200 pounds, and is going to play safety for Texas moving forward, which is just ridiculous. So... We talk a lot about the amount of talent, but like that to me, the fact that he's still in frame with the fastest high school player to ever run track is pretty impressive. And and you can see it in the there's a there's a picture you can see it when they stand next to each other. Just the size of Owens, like his thigh looks like Earl Campbell next to, again, the fastest high school runner ever of all time. Coach Zaitek does a lot of um, track timing, and he got to actually time his his 9.98 in the stadium um, and just has been marveling over over the kid. Um, but, yeah, Tyler Owens, which my favorite part, for those of you who follow Longhorn recruiting, Tyler Owens is the example that Aggie, and I use quotes here, media, um, have been lauding as the, the biggest – example of the burnt orange media conspiracy that it exists uh billy whatever his name is fake noosey or whatever um has been he was one of the guys that he honed in on and said look at the jump he's had he's gone all the way up to number three this is ridiculous clearly this is how texas jumped a and m everyone just tries to hold the aggies down by bumping the long ones again remember this dude's six to 200 pounds moving like the one of the fastest humans uh, alive, you know, just just sniffing distance within him and just showing the competitive nature to want to try to beat him. Like, that's a guy I want on the forty acres. That's a guy I don't care what recruiting ranking you give him. I think obviously when they saw his tape, they realized he's good and getting better, um, and it's accurate. But nonetheless, that's the type of guy I want on the forty acres. A monster, a guy who wants to compete. A guy who doesn't care what's on the other side of him. He's just going to go and do every ounce that he possesses in his body. 
Yeah, and we talk a lot about how safety and linebackers are probably the most important positions in this defensive scheme that Texas is currently running. So you've got a safety who can run like a like a cornerback. I'm going to uh, go ahead and say that's a good thing. And that safety room is getting awfully crowded. So I'm interested to see how they get all of these guys on the field because Tyler Owens is a guy that you have to get on the field. And all of the guys that they brought in for 2018 are also guys that need to get on the field. So I'm really interested to see how they manage this. And again, good problems to have. Mm -hmm. But that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You heard my uh, my Instagram reference earlier. That's at Kyle Ryan Carpenter. If you want to see pictures of my beautiful fiance and and my well plated food that typically she's making me, um, but I'm I'm not going to say anymore because it's Panini night. I got to get out of here. It's Panini o'clock. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Use the hashtag Replies of Texas, and you could get your tweet read on the air. You can also check me out on my nerd news podcast, Two Oak Nerds. We will be recording tomorrow night with our friend Raymond Summerlin talking about the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer and the latest episodes of Game of Thrones, uh, both of which have a lot of room for improvement, but we'll talk about that. It'll be fun. So check us out. That'll be live Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in again this weekend. Until next time, hook them. Hook them. Dracarys? Dracarys?